0: I'm Scott, Dr. GX Qualify, welcoming you to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that goes deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. Whether you're watching to the video version at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio podcast version on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or from many other leading providers, As always, thank you very much for your continued interest and support. Today I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Command Center singer Steve Boyd, best known as a member of the soul funk vocal group Five Special and later through studio work and regular appearances with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Five Special dropped three albums from 1979 to 1981 that included slamming tracks like Why Leave Us Alone, which was a top 10 R&B smash, Jam, Let's Take It To The Streets, Choosing You For Me, Your Body Heat, and love as well as smooth ballads like You're Something Special and Spread Love All Over The World. In addition to trying extensively with P-Funk as a lead and background vocalist through the years, Boyd has appeared in albums such as the Red Hot Chili Peppers Clinton produced, Freaky Stylie, Clinton's Own R&B Skeletons in the Closet, The P-Funk All-Stars, Dope Dogs, and The Awesome Power of a Fully Operational Mothership, Last Year's A Cosmic Jazz Funk Adventure by Detroit Rising, and Recordings by Paul Schaefer, Amp Fiddler, and Kendra Foster, among others. So stay tuned, Steve is coming right up. Yeah, I'm here with Steve Boyd, the one and only. Thanks for joining me, Steve. Where are you
1: today? I'm in the studio right now over in North Hollywood, California.
0: Okay. Is that where you uh, stay nowadays, or are you still in the Detroit area?
1: Well, I'm living in um, Canoga Park. I stay over here in Los Angeles in Canoga Park. And the studio was in North Hollywood, so this is my hood now.
0: Yeah, so I know you're from the Detroit area. How long have you been on the West Coast?
1: I've been on the West Coast uh, now for about six or seven years, but on and off about over 10 years.
0: You, you and I kind of flipped because I was born and raised in Southern California, but about ten years ago I moved out here to North Carolina.
1: Nice, you down in Kakalaki. My mother lives in South Carolina and Florence.
0: Okay, I'm near Charlotte.
1: Oh, y'all close.
0: Nice. I knew I could feel some of that Boyd funk nearby. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she down there chilling. Uh, what I think Myrtle Beach is the only thing that's separating y'all. Yeah, not too far, not too far. Charlotte just... is really close. One time I caught an Uber from Charlotte to Florence. From, yep. from Charlotte, North Carolina to uh uh Florence, South Carolina.
0: That must have been expensive Uber though.
1: It was like, it was like a hundred and something. You know, it wasn't that bad.
0: That's a good day for an Uber driver, though.
1: Anything to go see my mom. No expense. I spare no expense.
0: That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear she's still around, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) So, Steve, we're going to talk some five special P-Funk, but first, could you tell us how you first got into singing and music?
1: Oh, I first got into singing, well, being, I was, to think back at it, I I asked myself that question too. How did I get myself into this mess? <laughs> but uh, I think that the only thing I could come up with is that I was like born into it. Basically, I couldn't, it would have been hard for me to escape it. I mean, I tried, like I was a boxer. I fought, like when I was younger, I was in the Golden Gloves and was, I when I stopped boxing, I was undefeated with one tie. So I was like pretty good at that. And they had other plans for me, By the only thing we ever done in Detroit was make cars and stars. so I was gonna be either one. They already had an application at Fisher Body with my name on it, all ready to go. but I was the the music thing outweighed it's like, well, you can make you can make money like right now, if you go into, <laughs> And start making cars, which is what everybody else in Detroit was doing. It's what we're known for, but the music just outweighed it. Even starting off, you get no money. You starting off in the music business in Detroit, you aren't making no money because you have to prove yourself. And and you have to go through a whole gamut. Tests and trials and tribulations, and if you got, if you can just do that part and turn music into money, then it the bug has bitten you. And if you like to make a living off of it, it's uh, it's all about dedication and determination and. And being and having the wherewithal to uh, to stay uh, in a position to where you you're earning money because like coming up in Detroit, everybody plays. Nine out of ten people that you meet on the street can sing or play or do something uh, to make a record, right? The trick is the trick tri- to it you know, when you can turn that that skill into making money, then the bug has been you had you gotta eat. That's how I got into it. I got I wanted to eat. I like
0: eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, who were some of your early influences musically?
1: Um my early Influences were like some really heavy people, you know, all Motown, because I was so close. I mean, I was influenced by like non-Motown artists, let's start there, Uh, like Ray Charles.
2: Uh,
1: Let me see another... Non Motown artist. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. To, it's really how you see my connection. It's so, so strong, and with with, with the um, Detroit scene, the whole Detroit music scene, and the, by the Detroit music scene being so powerful and so. And, well, J-
0: James Brown was at Motown.
1: Okay, James Brown. Okay, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> James Brown definitely big influence to me. Uh, like I say, Ray Charles, and then the rest I don't know. would Probably just have to be oh, Motown, all Motown, right? Because I got the chance it, living in Motown. You'll see. Stevie Wonder. You'll see Marvin Gaye, I've been to his house. You'll see The Spinners, all the temps. You'll see
2: Mary Wilson. You know,
1: you'll see all of these artists like in everyday activities, in the street, at the store, going to the studio, coming from the studio, at your friend's house, over at your auntie's house. So we got it. Got a big super dose it
2: all the time. Well, what
0: what got you going before you became hooked up with Five Special? What was your experience before that?
2: Um, well, I sing, only in church. So I
1: had like, yeah, I was, you know, a pretty, you know, guy, you know, that knew about the streets and all of that. But my daily routines, like I said, I was a boxer. I was, so that was pretty constructed. And then singing in church. I only sang in church uh, until I found out, <laughs> it, I only sang in church and we would, I would sing, you know, willingly. I knew that was my job to sing in church, but I didn't know that I was getting paid all the time and they wasn't telling me. It was like, well, my my fee would automatically, was automatically get and donated to the church. Right. So I was like, wow, you can get paid for this? (laughs) And I entered a talent show and won it right off. I was like, wow. I was like, well, I didn't say, and I'm not going to say that word, but I got out of the church immediately and started singing where I could, like, earn money and win money very easily.
2: So no.
1: that is a no. That was a no-brainer. So were you? Fr- were you all the time for the free, and the church was actually earning money for me singing. I was like, ah, well, that's that's no good.
2: Well, singing I'm for the sing for, for the Lord myself. <laughs> So were you friends with uh, the guys that ended up forming
0: Five Special or?
1: No, I didn't know them at all. I, you know, all of my singing partners were. My singing partners were Fred Hammond. Y'all might know him. He's a Grammy Award winner. Fred Hammond and Derek Brinkley uh c c and b b Winans, we were all in a choir together in in Mumford, in Detroit. All of those people who I just named we were all we were all, we were in two singing uh units together we were in uh the concert choir together and we were in the mix ensemble together if anybody knows what a mix ensemble is it and I was in that mixed ensemble with BB Wyman, CC Wyman, Fred Hammond, Derek Brinkley, and it was another guy that y'all know, uh, Marvin Sapp. Yeah, old oh, Marvin. So those were all of my singing partners. I didn't know none, no five special or none of these guys who sing non-religious songs you know so when i decided to leave the church i just heard about a an audition somebody needed a singer in a group called Five special and they had out a record at the time called the more i get to know you the girls liked it this song called uh it went, i sit around all day just picking Petals off of daisies. And when I'm not doing that, I just sit around, starry-eyed, crazy, thinking about the way you look. And then Mike said, the way you smile. I was like, ah, I got to sing with them. All the ladies like these cats. And they looking for someone to sing. And boom, I just wanted to. Uh, smashed out the first audition. They were like, "Yes!" Actually, Ron Banks. I met him um, at a uh, shoes for children. Uh, they were raising money for kids uh, that needed shoes around Christmas time in Detroit. And Ron Banks actually organized this whole thing. And they had uh they would have a celebrity basketball game at the U of D. University of Detroit every year to raise money for kids who who needed shoes and and they would give them out for Christmas and he would uh, organize this and have all the Detroit singing groups and groups from other places come out and play basketball to raise money and I went to the game. I paid to get in to watch all the celebrities play and they had an after party uh, for that game. It was at a bar called Joe Stratter. I think Joe Stratter's were Joe Stratter played for the Pistons, the Detroit Pistons or either the Tigers. He he was a well-known athlete and he had this club and this is where all of the, These singers and the entertainers, they frequented this club. And that's where the after party was for the uh, all-star basketball game. And now I I went to the basketball game, but the club is just a bar. So at this time I was like 16 and I wasn't like old enough to get in. I couldn't get in, like walk through the front door because I was only 16. Even though I looked at it like I could be, I could go in, but you had, I had no ID. So I went over to the club anyway. Me and my friend, we was like, "Man, we, you know, all of these groups after the game, they're gonna be over at this club." And my friend was like, "Well, we'll just go over to the club and see if we can see some of the groups that's going in and out." That's what we did. So we was parked in the back of the place and just sitting there. And we did see people going in and out. I was like, well, the door is popping in, it's popping open, it's going open and shut. I was like, the next time that door popped open, I'm jumping in that door. So the door, I don't know, I think one of the Manhattans, I think it was blue from the Manhattans, he came out of the back door. As soon as he came out, I popped in and just shuffled into the bathroom, you know, to like, I was like, I'm in, but I'm just only in the bathroom. (laughs) And guess who was in the bathroom? (laughs) Washing his hands. Ron Banks. And And I was acting like I was washing my hands like I was supposed to be in the bathroom. And Ron Banks, he looked at me, he was like, he was like, what you doing in here, young blood? I was like, I was like, and I came out with the story. I just came out with it. I was like, hey, man, I was like, I heard that your little brother's group, the five special, they looking for a replacement um, for somebody to sing in the group. They missing a member. I was like, I want to try out. And he was like, man, get out of here. He was like, you ain't even supposed to be in the club. I was like, I still want to try for the group. He was like, sing something right now. I was like, okay. So he like closed the door to the bathroom and I just broke out singing right then and there. Then he was like, he was like, holy shit. And then like it was a payphone right outside the uh, right outside the bathroom. He went to the pay phone and he called his mom's house, which is where Brian Banks lived, was living at the time with his mom. He called his mom house. He was like, and I heard him over, to, over talking on the, on the telephone. He was like, mom, he was like, put Brian on the phone. And I heard her say, Brian, she's like, your brother Ronnie want to talk to you. <laughs> and then, uh, and Brian got on the phone around and he said, hey, man, he was like, I found a replacement for your group. He told Brian right then and there, I found a replacement for your group right there. He was like, and then he turned to me, he was like, hey, man, sing something for my brother right now on the phone. And I sung again, the same thing that I repeat what I had just sung for Ryan to Brian through the phone. And then Brian was like, well, let me speak to him. I was like, hey, man. He was like, man, my name is Brian. Um, I'm going to organize a rehearsal for tomorrow. Can you be at rehearsal tomorrow? And then that's the rest is history. I went to rehearsal. I walked to rehearsal from my house, from my mama's house, over to Greg Finley's house. That's where they was having rehearsal. And I went over there. He was like, you in. Was like, can you get a suit? They didn't even have enough money to buy me a suit. My grandmother had to buy, it. my grandmother bought my first uniform for the five special.
0: So that was like 1978
1: or 77? That was 77. Yeah. 78. So, then by seventy nine, the record was out. Why leave us alone?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned another record which I had never heard before. I, I first, you know, heard "Why Leave Us Alone" was the first thing I ever heard by Five Special um, in seventy nine.
1: There was two records before "Why Leave Us Alone." That one I sung to you um, previously. And it was one after that called, Let's Stop Making Small Talk, which was, uh, it went up the charts. It was a loco. Yeah. Did real good around Detroit. Yeah.
0: So Rob Banks, of course, famously of the dramatics. Were you a fan of the dramatics at all or not so much?
1: Oh, yeah. I was a Super fan of the dramatics. Super fan of the dramatics, just like everybody else was in Detroit who was, you know, in the singing, into singing and performing and r and b. The dramatics were on top. They had actually taken over the temptations in In Detroit. Well, it's a line that's drawn in Detroit on that it is a whole big argument and discussion on you know who was the the best group and it's between the temptations and the dramatics. Yeah well
0: that's hard to pick between them for sure. So what was it like for you when you actually got into a studio and started you know rubbing your elbows with professional
2: music makers. Well, um, again, uh, my
1: first first uh, real recording session where I was to learn and get The whole feel for the thing was at United Sound, and it was on the Wiley Was Alone session. It was on the Wiley Was Alone session. We did uh, the background vocals first, which back then you would rehearse a song like a lot before you ever even got a chance to go into the studio to record it so we had the song down past so we put the background vocals down and uh with the five special uh everybody's sung leads so we had to everybody had to get their lead parts on too so it came my turn to do my lead part and it was like okay come on out steve do your part. So I went out, put the headphones on, they rolled the tape, they rolled the tape. Here comes the part. I got the part. I got this. I got this. The part came, boom. I sung it. And I'm looking in the, I'm looking in the uh, booth. I can see through the window. And you can see everybody's reaction. And I start seeing people. They holding the head down and ron banks he was the producer then he started flagging me in he starts to this motion right here and i said damn I, I was like i'm fired after the first thing and I, so i'm i'm still on the mic like just like this i'm on the, i'm still like but hey i'm like Give me another shot. I was like, I, I was just warming up, man. I was like, come on, come on, come on. And they was like, everybody was like, doing like, get in here. I was like, damn. And I came and I threw the headphones down and I came into the control room. I was like, y'all not go give me a shot. They was like, it's done. <laughs> I swear to you, you can ask Brian and all of them. They was like, it's done, dude. You are for that's where I got the name, First Take Jake.
0: First Take. Wow.
1: And that, that take right there is on the record to, to this day. And They never gave me another shot at it.
0: <laughs> that record, man, I, I love that. From the first time I heard it, it was incredible. And, you know, at that time, I mean, there weren't that many vocal groups that were getting as funky as you guys did on that. You know, mostly the bands were the ones that were doing funk at that time. Um, are you the one doing the I I I I part
2: on that? I want to that would would be Greg Finley. Yeah, well you all kick butt on
0: that. And I saw five special play a show at the Santa Monica Civic. Do you remember? Oh my
2: god.
0: Do you remember that show or doing that tour?
1: I remember that show. I could tell you some things about that show. Yes, I do. <laughs> we were on the show with Michael Henderson, Heatwave, and yep. Sun.
2: Yeah, I remember Heatwave did the human pyramid in their act.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I I met Natalie Cole that night. which was, it was really, it was great meeting Natalie that night. I never knew.
2: She was, uh, her and Michael Henderson had
1: some things going on there. She had some kind of way. She asked me to go into Michael's dressing room to get him out. He didn't want to come out or something. I I was I was young in the business. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> All I know is Natalie Cole is asking me to go into the room and get Michael. <clears throat> Were
0: you the youngest member of Five Special?
2: Yes, I was the baby of the bunch.
1: Mm-hmm. I wasn't oh. old enough to. To be singing in all of the clubs we were singing in. Henry's Palace is, was a, a famous, very famous club that all R&B acts played in Detroit. and We played there like a lot. We played there a lot. That was where we did most of our shows before we um, prepared to go on the road. Before we go on tour. And I had been singing at Henry's Palace. When I got in the group, I was... When I I joined Five Special, I was 16. I was 16 and then the Five Special had the record out, so they were playing in, in clubs, like I say, Henry's Palace, Ethel's Cocktail Lounge, Mozambique, 20 grand, and I was 16, but didn't know, you know, once I put on a suit and started singing, don't nobody know that I'm underage, but at Henry's Palace, we used to play there. Matter of fact, let me show you some. I just got this. I just got this. Printed out. Somebody sent this to me. You see it?
0: Yeah, I see fast special right in the middle. Henry's Palace, March five and six. Does it have the year on it too?
1: Yeah. So we used to we used to play the at this club all the time. And this is why, when I was like 16, 17, still not old enough, you know, legally to be in it. In the club. And but no one knew the better. None of the club owners knew. But uh we at at Henry's, at Henry's, we used to play a matinee, So that's like three shows a day on Sunday. On Sunday, we playing three shows. We play a matinee at six o'clock, where like what like elderly people would come and kids. They would let kids come in, you know for this matinee and my grandmother came to this one Sunday and she was friends or somehow that knew somebody that knew the club owner's wife. So they were sitting at the bar talking and she's talking to the club owner's wife and telling her, well, yeah, that's my grandson. That's the one they are singing there. They got that record out and that's my baby, and he's, he's 16.
0: <laughs> Blowing your cover.
1: She told the club owner's wife, he came into the dressing room before the next set. He came and he busted into the dressing room before the next set, and he told us he was like, he was like, he pointed at me, he was like, you! He was like, How come y'all, he said, he blessed the group out. How come y'all didn't tell me he was underage? He was singing in here all of this time. Y'all didn't tell me. He was like, well, he can sing in here, but he can't come out of the dressing room ever. Because the dressing room had like a door that led out of the club, like out to the back street. He's like, he comes in this back door onto the stage and back out of the back door. No coming in the club, cause I had been like all, you know, coming in the club, sitting down, getting drinks, talking to the ladies, and everything the whole while. He was like, "No more of that." <laughs> <laughs> Henry's Palace, bless his soul.
0: How how did it feel for you, Steve, when you you know heard heard your songs on the radio and? knew that you guys had a hit.
1: Man, in Detroit, it was like, it was like a a burden lifted. All of the hard work had paid off, and believe me, we worked very hard, very hard to get that record. So, to hear it, and believe me, you wasn't getting a record played on the radio in Detroit, the competition was very stiff. So to be able to get your, and and listen, that record, even the radio version was like five minutes long. The yeah. disco version was 10 minutes and 17 seconds. You can check it. And once the record caught on, they started playing it. The disco version. So that's like 10 whole minutes on the radio. You don't get that anymore. You getting three, four minutes tops. I'm talking about on the best top artists of today. That's all you're getting on the radio. You're not getting no 10-minute record played. And that record was like spinning like crazy. It was like it was always on the radio. You get in your car. It's on the radio. You go to the barber shop, it's on the radio. You walking in the supermarket, it's on the radio. And so that was like we we felt like a, a good a gratification from that. It was like so instant, you know, from like not having nobody knowing who we were, to everybody knowing who we were.
0: Well, it sure wasn't just Detroit either, because I grew up in Los Angeles, and it hit big there. And, you know, that year, 79, I think that was probably the longest track that they were playing on the radio, other than Knee Deep by Funkadelic, which was like 15 minutes. But, yeah, it was a nice long track.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it would keep you going too.
2: We well, I really what was
0: really cool about it, Steve, too, was that it has a long music intro. You know, it like builds up the track for like a minute at least before you guys start coming in with your vocals.
1: mm mm-hmm. Uh those string arrangements were done by uh Wayne Henderson and Don Mizell.
2: Mm.
0: Don Mizell did great stuff with LTD.
1: And Rick Giannattos did the disco mix, who did the disco mix for Donna Summer.
0: Well, wow, You guys had some heavy hitters on that first record. And then yeah,
1: and we were blessed to be able to be around those type of people but as i see going through my career when you when your talent is at a certain level you draw that level of talent to you so it is it's a bless it's a blessing but to be dedicated you have to the dedication and the determination is, is gotta be there to wanna be, you know, that good, or even wanna be around people that just that good. Or to the to the point to where you deserve to even be working with people who are that good.
2: Well, the next year you came back with an even funkier
0: track, jam, let's take it to the streets. With uh, now that is not Bernie Orrell playing keyboard on it, is it? Because I mean, it sounds so much like Bernie.
1: That certainly is Bernie Orrell playing keyboards on there. I sat there in United Sound, just like I'm sitting right here in the studio right now, and I watched Bernie bang it out.
0: Okay, because he didn't get credited, but I mean, I was like, man, that's got to be Bernie
1: it was some type of thing going on with Armin and George and some some type of little unsaid rule at that time where Bernie uh, was all right with not being credited. But, and also that is the horny horns that's fred wesley and maceo on there too and uh rick gardner
2: wow
0: how did it come to be though that that connection was made with five special and them
1: we recorded right in the P-Funk lab ah we would walk out of session we controlled United Sound at this time. If it wasn't a five special or the dramatics or a George Clinton production, nobody was in that studio. We dominated the studio at the time. You couldn't get in there. You wasn't getting there I think anita Baker Anita Baker she could you know, she could sneak in. Aretha Franklin came in and did Pink Cadillac during that time. But it was only, like, really major people who could even get into that studio because we had it on lock. They renamed it. It was the P-Funk Lab. People know about the P-Funk Lab, but really... I was think, just thinking about this the other day. But really, the P Funk Lab is United Sound. Is United Sound. But a lot of people they just know the P Funk Lab because it's a direct association with the whole P Funk you know thing that's going on. But it's it's United Sound. And we shared the studio like we split it down the middle.
2: Yeah, a lot of magic happened in that studio. No question about that. Oh yeah. Um, the magic you-
1: castle.
0: So, were you just having like the time of your life, like when you were doing that record, or
1: which record?
0: The second Five Special.
1: The, oh yeah, I was. Oh my God, the second record. Electra wanted to was like, we need this done yesterday. You know, just to, you know, our record companies are. They want to keep up the momentum of you know any notoriety that you had from the first one, which. Where I Leave Us Alone was on fire. It was on fire. We was knocking down charts everywhere. So they really wanted to get another album done ASAP. So we were uh, taken off of the road back to Detroit, back into United Sound. And George Nem was there, as
2: usual, pumping out the funk. And um, that's, you know, that was the
1: connection. I mean, it's a no-brainer with Bernie and the Horny Horns were already sitting there. <laughs> So now we got to do a record right quick is like we're not putting them out of the studio and like, hey, we got to do our album. Y'all got to get out of the way. It's like, no, we got to do our album and y'all come. Don't go nowhere. Stay right there. As a matter of fact.
2: (laughs) Yeah. At, At that time, the late 70s, early 80s, Steve.
0: For vocal groups, R&B vocal groups, they were either going disco or they were kind of mellow. There wasn't really much funk, like I said before. So you had like the older groups like Dramatics and OJs were doing just kind of more like R&B stuff. And the younger ones, like an Enchantment, they were doing kind of mellower stuff. What was it you think that made Five Special want to do more funk than probably any of the other r b vocal groups at that time.
1: Because funk was happening and we sitting right in the P-Funk lab, right? We live basically in the P-Funk lab. Now, while Eva Salone actually earned us a... Uh, what is the billboard? We won a billboard award that year, 1979. Uh, you could research that. Who won the for the best disco record that year was five special.
2: So by the industry,
1: at Billboard, we were like casted into disco. And won the best for the best disco record, which you might ask, how does that happen? How does an R&B group from Detroit win the best disco record of 1979? Which is all just like a, it's just like a, a fan through, and then the next album that we put out, the single is a funk record that has Parliament Funkadelic on the record. By the way, Parliament Funkadelic is on Why Leave Us Alone, too. If you listen closely to that clap track, the clap track on Why Leave Us Alone is done by
2: Peanut, Clip,
1: uh, Don Silver, George Clinton, and Sheila Horn and Ron Ford. That's who's doing the hand clap track on While Leave Us Alone. Mm -hmm. So back, forward back to the second album. Um, We got Bernie and the Horny Horns featured on this new record. So it's not gonna sound like a disco record which we just won for the best disco record, the year previous So we got this funk record out here, which was, we was feeling it. We was feeling it. The group was feeling it. We was actually so honored just to have these guys on our record and we coming out with this record and this we gonna be funky and we kind of just set the disco thing like aside, like, and in the, the industry is like what guys you're the you're the best disco record of of last year and now you throw out a a funk record and we was happy to do it but the industry is like well just put us in that category and like that's what you do and we wasn't they wasn't really trying to hear that jam let's take it to the street. Was defun- the record was funky as all get out. The, the way we, the first sign, that they, they, they let us know that they really wasn't feeling it. The hook was uh, jam. He said, It he said, jam, let's take it. Jam, you mothers. Jam, you mothers. Let's take it to the streets, everybody. Jam, you mothers. So they say, okay, that's a little bit risky. Go back.
0: It actually sounds like something Bootsy might have come up with.
1: Yeah. Look what happened. They say, Mm -mm. y'all go back into the studio and say, jam. They was like, yeah, it's a hell of a record. And the the Funk Association, we can play. We can some kind of way spin that. But you got to go back in the studio and say, Change the words to Jam You Brothers. Hmm. We say Jam You Brothers. All right. is what the record company wants. And the record is, is getting some spins just because they wanted to hear another record. But you got to change it to Jam You Brothers. So we go back in the studio and we do that. We came to a studio out here in um, L.A., a total experience over on Yucca Street. And all we did was just punch in on that part, change, swap the words out, send it back to them, and the record still
2: got taken off of the charts. So, we um, were... It turned out that maybe
1: going with the funk sound as a second, you know, off of the second album probably wasn't the best uh, way to market Five Special by them already being casted into the industry, casting us into this disco market which received the record, you know, greatly. They loved it.
0: I loved it. I was really happy because Why Leave Us Alone was a funk record to me with some disco elements and Jam was straight funk.